Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Uh, So Road to Redemption and this series looks at the journey of Jesus and the journey that He took toward the cross, which is a road not many, if any, would choose for themselves. It's a road that leads to the Father's will and it's a road that leads to the redemption, thank God, of a broken, hurting world and that includes you and me. And that's why I'm so grateful to Jesus this morning. And this road would involve a few things and one is betrayal, the other suffering, death and the resurrection. And they're the four elements that we're going to be looking at in the lead up to Easter. Everyone say betrayal, suffering, death and resurrection. And so today we're going to be looking at the supper and what took place at the supper. And we're going to be dealing with the subject matter of betrayal. Okay. And so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 14. No, sorry, Matthew chapter 14, reading from verse 12 right through to verse 31. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked Him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him, say to the owner of the house, he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where, uh, I, may eat the, uh, sorry, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. Can I just say this? A word dropped in my heart in the chapel service when I was reading this and I want to share it again just now. Uh, It's interesting. It's one thing to prophesy something will happen, but it's another thing when what you prophesy comes to pass exactly as you say it will. And Jesus declared many things and He prophesied and said, you'll meet a man and this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. And it is recorded that everything Jesus said came to pass exactly as He said. And I believe that the word for you this morning is don't give up, don't give in. The things that you felt God say to you will come to pass. Just like He said they would. Father, right now, we just commit our faith to Your promise and declare that the things that You have promised will come to pass exactly as You said they would. Amen. Continuing reading, it says, So they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, He said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, He replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread 
And when they'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and he, after he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank it. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Bit of context here. We're coming up to Passover time and uh, Jesus said, let's prepare a room for the Passover. Now the Passover was an annual reminder of how God delivered Israel from the clutches of Egypt. And He told them to prepare the room and to prepare the table and so that everything was just right. Some of the Passover foods were the unleavened bread, which was representative of what bread was made while it was made in haste when they fled from Egypt. The parsley represented Israel flourishing in their new promised land. The horseradish represented the bondage that they suffered while they were in Egypt. The haraset, which was a mixture of nuts, fruit and wine, symbolised the mortar used that they made to lay the bricks. The lamb shank, mm, lamb shank, uh, <laughs> represented the sacrifice they made when they fled Egypt. Remember they had to kill the lamb and paint the lamb's blood on the doorframe and the destroying angel passed over those homes. Whenever it saw the blood, the destroying angel passed over the home and the firstborn male of that home was saved, representative of what Jesus Christ did for us. And then the egg represented springtime, new beginnings and rebirth. And all these elements were on the table and plated up beautifully, I'm sure. And they were there and the Passover was ready. It was at this supper that Jesus made three shocking statements. He said this, one of you is going to betray me. The second shocking statement He made, now remember, these are His friends. These are His closest companions. He said, all of you will abandon me. And His third shocking statement was, one of you is going to disown me, not once, not twice, but three times before the rooster crows. The Merriam-Webster's dictionary translation of, or definition, sorry, of the word betray means to give information about a person, group or country to an enemy or to hurt someone that trusts you, such as a friend or relative. And so according to this definition, all of the disciples betrayed Jesus. The betrayal of Judas fits the first definition quite well to give information about a person, group or country to an enemy. But the second def definition represents the other 11, means to hurt someone that trusts you, such as a friend or a relative. The question we have to ask ourselves as we read the Word of God is, how could this happen? 
If you're anything like me, you think, my goodness me, how could this happen? Twelve men got to spend three and a half years with the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Surely, surely not. And there's a temptation to think that if we were there, if we picked our 12 best this morning and we were there, this wouldn't happen. Uh, I beg to differ. The truth is we all have the potential to betray Jesus and others. As Christians, we all struggle to maintain our loyalty to Christ. And the possibility of betrayal is strongest when we are more willing to do our will than the will of God. How does it happen? It's when we take our eyes off God's will and focus on our will. I think Phil's word this morning as he was hosting us in the time of worship was so apt for what I'm saying right now, that we need to focus our eyes on God's will and not ours. Because the moment we focus on our will, that's the beginning of betrayal. See, these disciples did not betray Jesus immediately. It was subtle and it took time, but it started in the same place. It started when they took their eyes off God's will and started looking at their own will. Three times in the book of Mark, Jesus predicts His death and the response from the disciples is interesting. They are many and varied, but it's the same root issue. They were more concerned about their will than God's will. The first time Jesus mentions His death in Mark, Peter rebukes Him. He says, no, you will not die. And at that moment, Peter was not caring about Jesus. He was more caring about his future. Because, you know, when you're serving the Messiah, that gives you a great portfolio. And if you lose the Messiah, um, you lose your portfolio. And so Peter was saying, no, 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 no. Jesus, you're not going to die. Don't be stupid. We need you around. <laughs> I need a job. This is the beginning. How do these things happen? Subtly, over time. They start in our heart. On another occasion when Jesus mentions to the disciples that He's going to die, it says an argument amongst the 12 broke out as to who's the greatest. I mean, this is a sad moment in time. Jesus is pouring His heart out. I don't know if as a parent you've ever been pouring your heart out and the kids are like, oh, so am I getting my toy or not? I mean, I, and that's what's going on here. Jesus is pouring his heart out. He's saying, hey, look, the Son of Man has come and he must die. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, just question, who's the greatest? And they're arguing amongst themselves, who's the greatest? Well, I did this and I did that and I've seen this and I've seen that. And they're arguing again at that moment. They're not thinking of God's will. They're just thinking of themselves. Where does betrayal start? It starts when we take our eyes off His will and look to our own will. On another occasion in Mark, when Jesus mentioned His death, Peter, uh, James and John, two brothers come alongside and uh, ask Jesus, hey Jesus, um, you know, is it okay if we sit at your right and left hand when you're in glory? Can, can we do that? Can you reserve a place for, for me and my bro? And, and can, can we do that? And Jesus said, hang on, did you miss the point? I'm dying, I'm gonna die. And they're not concerned about Jesus dying, they're more concerned about their position in heaven. Where does betrayal start? It always starts when we take our eyes off God's will 
and become consumed with our will, our likes, our desires, our position, our power, our comfort, how it affects us. They were more concerned about getting their own will done than God's will. And as I've mentioned before, sometimes betrayal is obvious, but more often than not, it's subtle and it starts small and it starts in the unseen areas of our life. It starts in our heart. Betrayal is hard to deal with and it can often bring the worst out in people. And what I love about Jesus is that He's allowed us to glimpse into His life to show us how to deal with the betrayal that comes. If I said to you, who here has been betrayed? I imagine every hand would go up and I imagine with every hand up, no one would be lying because we've all been betrayed. If I was to ask who has betrayed someone, the hands might not go up as readily. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, not only have we been betrayed, but we've also betrayed people. I think we've let people down and we've upset people. And the closer the person is to us, the more chance that you can betray and be betrayed. If you don't know somebody, they'll never betray you. You know that guy that cuts you off when you're driving the car and he gives you the finger and you're like, what? And it annoys you, but you don't lose any sleep over it. But it's someone who's closest to you that causes us the greatest pain and the greatest hurt. And we've all got a betrayal story. I remember a number of years ago, probably five, six years ago, I was at Edge Church. We had an Edge Connect meeting. It was fantastic. And, and uh, because I have a close relationship with Danny, he invited me into a small little room to have dinner with the keynote speaker. And the keynote speaker on that particular day was a major prophetic voice in our nation. And uh, his name's David McCracken. And uh, any of you who know that name would know that this is a reputable prophetic voice. And we were sitting on the table and there was about 12 of us, funny enough, and we were eating a meal. And so when I read this story, I chuckle to myself because I think I, 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 I can identify with this because as we were eating, and i never forget, I had knife and fork in hand. I had a piece of meat on my fork and this prophetic voice named David McCracken leans over the table and you understand, whenever, I have a, whenever there's a prophet in town, I try and hide because I always seem to get singled out and, and, it's, and it's not always comfortable when a prophet speaks into your world. And so uh, I was just kind of on the end of the table, just kind of just hiding away. And he just uh, looks down the table and says, uh, young man. And so I knew he was a prophet because he called me a young man. <laughs> and so he says to me, um, what's your name? I said, Tony. He said, I've got a word for you. And, I'm like, oh, great. He says, and it's not a word I like to give. Oh, well, keep it to yourself then. That's what I felt like saying. I really, I didn't, well, don't tell me. Let's just let me eat my dinner and be, you know, ignorance is bliss sometimes. And he says, I just want to say that uh, in your core team, you have a Judas. And I was like, I remember looking at the steak on my plate and I just lost my appetite instantly. And I, I don't know if you ever know what this feels like, but when you're leading a team and you go back to your team and say, hey guys, um, I had a, a word. had a word 
And so before I tell you what the word is, let me just ask a question. Who knows Dave McCracken? Oh, yeah, we know Dave McCracken. I said, who recognises him to be a reputable prophetic voice? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you do. He's a re- you, you really think, so if he actually spoke over me, then he's probably worth listening to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, are you sure? You know, I said, are you sure? Are you sure you haven't heard any uh, you know, news about him where more recently he's kind of got a little bit wayward and he's a little bit offbeat? Are you sure he's still reputable? Maybe he once was reputable, but now he's, he's not so much reputable. Have you heard any? No, no, no. He's a reputable voice. I, I, I would take what he says to the bank. I'm like, really? Wow. I said, well, you know, that's all. tell us what he said. I said, well. I said, that's not easy for me because... Um, I said, what he said was, I said, that he, he said that amongst our team, and I'm, you know, I can only assume he's talking about those in this room right now, uh, it's AKA our team, he said, uh, he said, there's a Judas. And it's so funny at that time, and some of you are in the room, you know, you remember, and, and it's kind of like, everyone's, oh, not me, not me. I was just, I was just like, <laughs> and so when I read that, I smile because I, I get it, it's just human nature. And I'm not here judging, I'm not here trying to condemn, I'm just saying we all fall short. We've all been betrayed and we're all susceptible to betraying someone. And so can we not hear what I'm about to share today as finger pointing, but can we just take a good look at ourselves and say, where am I susceptible to being betrayed and betraying others? And what can we learn from Jesus' example? Because He's the ultimate example that we should be following. And so we've had to negotiate that word over the seasons and all the rest of it. And I'm not here to talk any more about that. But I am here to say I I can relate to the very subject that I'm talking about. And I think all of us in this room are an expert when it comes to betrayal because we've all experienced it. But maybe we're not experts at dealing with it. There's a difference between experiencing something and dealing with it. And I think we're all experts when it comes to experiencing betrayal. I don't know how well we are at actually dealing with it. And I believe certain things happen to Jesus in order to teach us how to deal with situations. If Jesus was just interested in our salvation, all He had to do is die on the cross. But he allowed so many things to happen to him in order to show us how to deal with those things that happen to us. And so I think there are some things we can learn from the life of Christ that will be helpful in moving us forward and hopefully getting us unstuck when it comes to this particular area. The reasons Jesus could endure such betrayal, I believe, is firstly because he was secure. Jesus said, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. In other words, Jesus knew who he was and he knew where he was going. You've got to get this church. Jesus knew that no matter what Judas said, what Peter said, who was with him or who wasn't with him, it didn't change essentially who he was. He was the Son of God. When he was tempted in the desert with these words, if you're the Son of God, he didn't have to entertain anything the devil said because he knew who he was. If you're a real man, why don't you jump off that cliff? You know, if you're a real man, why, why don't you ride a motorbike? If you're, you don't have to prove those things. You, you don't have to prove those things. I, I remember as, as a young man, I was eight years of age, and, and someone said, if you're you a real man, you'd smoke this cigarette. I said, I don't want to smoke a cigarette. I don't need a cigarette to prove that I'm a man. And I said, if you give me that cigarette, I'm going to throw it in the water. 
And it's a big deal for me because I was eight years old and I was with my friends and uh, scarily enough, I was with my friend's older sisters. When my friend's sister was offering you something, normally you'd be intimidated. Oh, yes, I'll be a real man. I'll do exactly what you say. You know, and I'm just like, no, no, no. And I, I remember grabbing the cigarette and throwing it in the water. And they were upset with me. Because you don't have to smoke. You don't have to do things that people are putting on you to prove that you're a real man or that you're a real woman or that you're a real person. And so you don't have to dance for people. You don't have to do what people say just so that you feel like you fit in. And so Jesus knew who he was. And that's why when betrayal came his way, he didn't allow it to stop him doing what he'd been called to do. Yes, I'm sure there's a physical pain and an emotional pain that's attached when hurt comes. But essentially it doesn't change who you are. I'm a son of God and I've just been betrayed, but I'm still a son of God. I'm a child of God. And not only did Jesus know who he was, but he also knew where he was going. Jesus knew exactly why he came to planet Earth. And it wasn't for a life of comfort. It was to die. Jesus knew he'd be betrayed. Jesus knew that he would be battered, beaten and bruised. He knew he'd be abandoned. He knew he'd be crucified. He knew his father would forsake him. He knew that he would die. He knew that on the third day he would rise again. He knew that he would walk on the earth for six weeks after the resurrection, proving that he was who he said he was. And he knew that he would ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for the church. And that's exactly what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years. He knew who he was and he knew where he was going. And when you know who you are and you know where you're going, it doesn't matter who betrays you. It doesn't matter who abandons you. It doesn't matter who lets you down because it doesn't change those things. It doesn't change those things. And so in order for us to combat the betrayal that comes at us and is within us, one of the best ways to combat that is when it comes down to our security. How secure are you? And that's why we need to keep our eyes on the goal of our faith. I preached it more recently that we've got to keep our eyes on the goal, not our eyes on the prize. The prize is a byproduct of the goal. Can you imagine taking a penalty kick to win the game and all you've got to do is slot the ball in the goal, run the clock down and you win the game and then you get the prize for winning the game? Can you imagine being so enamoured with the prize that instead of kicking toward the goal, you actually kick toward the prize? By aiming for the prize, you miss the prize because you didn't get the goal. And so we've got to keep our focus on the goal and not the prize. Let the prize be a byproduct of us reaching the goal. Let not the prizes become the goal of our lives. I believe Jesus was able to handle the betrayal that came his way because first and foremost, he was secure. Secondly, he was submissive. It says, while they were reclining at the table, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. This is amazing to me because he actually knew Judas would betray him. 
In other words, he wasn't blindsided. It's one thing to be blindsided. But when you actually know you're going to be betrayed and you know the person who's going to betray you and you still invite him into your home and you still choose to call him friend, this is a form of submission that many of us know nothing about. Jesus looks into the eyes of Judas and says, friend, go do what you've got to do. The disciples did not know what Jesus was on about. That's because Jesus wasn't talking about it. He wasn't whinging. He wasn't leaking. He just knew what he knew. He wasn't blindsided. He knew exactly what was taking place. But he willingly surrendered himself and submitted himself to the Father's will. He was submitted to the Father's will, not his personal agenda. He was submitted to the greater good, not his present comfort. And he was submitted to God's intended future, not just his preferred future. You know, many of the experts have studied and talked about why Judas actually betrayed Jesus. And there's a common theme and a common thought that Judas actually betrayed Jesus because, like I said before, his mind was not on the will of God, but on his own will. And he actually got offended with Jesus that Jesus would actually up and leave when he's... Uh, life was just beginning. And Judas in his heart of hearts actually felt like Judas betrayed, sorry, Jesus betrayed him first. By setting us up to uh, be part of your kingdom on earth and then now tell us you're going to leave, I'm offended. I feel betrayed. And that as a result of I feel betrayed, he then betrayed Jesus. And he did it for a measly 30 pieces of silver. And the moment that transaction took place, he couldn't live with himself. And he went out and he hung himself. He threw away his life because of the wrestle within. Where does betrayal start? It starts in the heart. It starts when we take our eyes off God's will and look to our will. Jesus was secure. He was submitted And he was also steadfast. He says, you'll all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. In other words, Jesus was never persuaded nor dissuaded by what others were doing, particularly the majority. Doing the right thing doesn't always mean that you'll be the most popular. Doing the right thing doesn't always mean that you'll be in the majority. In actual fact, on that occasion, Jesus was very much in the minority. When you're in your universities and your schools and your workplaces, you may find yourself very much in the minority. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And at that moment, we need to understand what it is to stay our course. It's been said that you don't determine the greatness by your talent or wealth as the world does, but rather by what it takes to discourage you and make you quit. You're only as great as what it takes to make you quit. I've told this story numbers of times before, but it's a funny story. It's when we first got our dog, and as a good dog owner, I wanted to be the person that told our dog to, you know, 
stay and not run away. And I was told if you get some doggy chocks and you do a few exercises, pretty soon he'll be disciplined. Well, three years later, uh, <laughs> that never happened. And the reason it never happened is because I got so frustrated with our little dog. I, I would I'd get him to sit and I'd say, now stay. And I'd walk a foot away. They told me to walk a foot away at a time and, and reward him every time you get a foot away. And uh, so I'd give him a doggy chock and then I'd go another foot. And I can see the dog. He's just like, <laughs> I mean, he's excited. He just wants to be everywhere but there. I found myself getting so frustrated and I just felt God in my frustration interrupt my little doggy moment and saying, Tony, you're like that. And then I felt God say, my church is like that. We're happy to go here, there and everywhere, but sometimes I just want you to stay. Just want you to stay. And what I love about Jesus, he stayed his course. He didn't give up. He wasn't persuaded, nor was he dissuaded by the majority. He did the will of the Father. He wasn't driven by his emotions, but he was able to stay the course. Jesus was secure. Jesus was steadfast. Jesus was submissive. And lastly, Jesus is our standard. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank it. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is poured out for many. The moment Jesus took this cup and this bread, the meal that they were taking part of was no longer a Passover meal. It was something that represented a new covenant of which Jesus himself was the standard. Jesus himself became the standard of this new covenant. Instead of being Passover, this, is, this was a moment where we reflect upon the one who was about to lay down his life. And because he was willing to lay down his life, we have a new hope. We can receive help. And we can find happiness. See, because Jesus is our standard, that means that we have a hope. Because he's gone before us. And he has shown us how to handle betrayal. So we have a hope. I cannot promise you that you'll never be betrayed again. But I can promise you this. We have one who can teach us every moment of our lives how to manage that moment. And not only just give us hope, but also give us help. Because it's not easy to love those that do not love us. It's not easy to love those that have betrayed us. But Jesus not only gives us hope that we can do it, He gives us the help to empower us to do it. And as a result of this hope and this help, it brings about a happiness. It brings about a joy in the midst of your pain. It brings about a joy in the midst of our betrayal. It brings about a joy in the midst of our suffering. At Jesus' greatest moment of need, when He was abandoned by all those that were closest to Him, you don't see Him whinging. You don't see Him complaining. You don't see Him wanting to change church. You don't see Him... You don't see him having a go at the local pastor. You don't see him having a go at God. You don't see him having a go at his wife. 
or his kids or his disciples or whatever else it is that we have a go at. Jesus showed us what the standard of the new covenant looks like. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Why did I give my life to Christ and not some other religion? Because there's no other religion that did what Christ did. Jesus Christ not only came and made great claims, but He fulfilled every one of them. And I am so grateful. And I'm grateful that I belong to a church that has been impacted by the profound truth and hope, help and happiness that comes from knowing Him as our Lord and Saviour. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 